Hi, and thank you for tuning in. You know, I don't know anybody doesn't have a hard time understanding what leadership is about. It has changed in the 21st century. And because it has changed, you know, there's not a lot of information out there that pulls it all together so that you have the steps you need to be the best leader that you can. Leadership is all about influence. And this podcast is about helping you understand how to influence others and to build the collaborative team that provides you the inclusive, high-performing workplace that you are looking for. Whether this is the first job you've had as a leader, whether you're an individual contributor, or you've been in leadership for 30 years, there is something for you on this particular podcast. It's called Remarkable Leadership Lessons, shared by Denise Cooper and her friends. And if you like, you can always go over to my website and pick up other gems that will help you become a remarkable leader. I met this young lady through a a referral. Her name is Vanessa Russell, and she has one of the most fascinating stories. So here's why I think you ought to listen. Has something ever touched your heart so much that it changed your life? Are you looking for that thing that touches your heart, makes you just get up and say, you got to do something about that? that you want to support somebody whose heart has been touched like that. And you just want to get in it because you want to feel like you're needed, feel like you are changing the world, even if it's just a small part of the world. If so, Vanessa's story is one that you want to listen to. Vanessa worked 23 years in the IT industry, leading technology and sales organization. She retired from Cisco Systems in January of 2019, although she does not look that old, I promise you guys, (laughs) to lead a nonprofit called Love Never Fails full-time. Her professional hope is to inspire and motivate people to develop business and themselves. She's married and has been blessed to have seven children and four grandchildren, love. She lives out in California. She's a graduate of University of South, uh, San Francisco with a bachelor's in information science systems. And of course, she's a sought after keynote speaker um, on a variety of topics, topics in the IT industry, but also for her current passion. Good morning, Vanessa. How are Good you? Morning. I'm great. I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me today. Excellent. Hey, guys, all of her accolades, and I mean, she has got so many, are listed in the show notes below. And I hope that you'll take the time to just kind of touch upon them. But I have to ask you the question. From reading everything about you, you were doing fine and happy and, you know, in the IT (laughs) world and leading sales organizations for Cisco. And then something happened. Well, um, I grew up in in very difficult circumstances, very impoverished. And I had a heart for inner city kids that had uh, similar challenges to me when I was growing up. And so I decided to teach kids dance since the early 2000s. I was teaching inner city kids dance in Northern California. And um, in 2010, one of my 15-year-old dance students stopped coming to class. And um, I thought, um, maybe she just lost interest in the dance class as some um, as young people do and and started asking a, a few questions of her family and they said yeah she's having some problems you know she's getting 
getting involved with this, that, and the other. It just sounded pretty, you know, normal and benign. And then one day I was teaching a class, uh, not not a, a, a dance class, a different class. And uh, someone came in, knocked on my door and said, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Pulled me outside. And they said, I have this little girl in my car that I picked up on the street that was basically being sold. Um, she was standing on a street corner and uh, actually walking down the street. And she was, you know, barely dressed. And I just knew something was wrong. And um, I thought you would know what to do with her. And so I said, oh, she said, can you please come to the car? And I guess because she knew I had worked with youth. So she mm -hmm. came to get me and uh, went out to the car. And there was my student. Mm. And I, I was just, you know, my heart dropped. And I went and she and I went and I told my class, I got to go. I got to check in with, with one of my young ladies. And we went into a coffee shop across the street and we met and she explained how she had met this boy who kept coming around uh, the boys and girls club and, um, you know, cute boy, older, you know, maybe a few years older than her, 18, 19 year old, kept coming around and eventually he raped her and he sold her to a pimp in Oakland and she was being sold throughout the state. And I was just, I, you know, I, I didn't have words and uh, inside I was screaming and I was crying and I, but I kept my game, my poker face. And she began to tell me how um, she was raped and she was choked and she was, um, she was shot at. And this is my precious little 15 year old dancer who was a, a nerd and, and, you know, um, just giggled and weird and just all of these things that uh, a young 15 year old might be. And here she was being subjected to this horror. And, and so I thought, well, you know, a very a type personality. And so I was like, okay, we're here together. We're, it's going to be okay. I brought her home at the time she was, she was in foster care at the time. And uh, actually she was at the time she was with a maternal aunt. She eventually ended up in foster care. But what I learned when I brought her home was um, that there was this thing called trauma bonding. And because shortly after she came home, she went back to that. Mm. And I just couldn't understand why she would go back. And so mm -hmm. I, this began my journey of learning all about trauma, learning about human trafficking, mm -hmm. and doing what I thought never happened, which is to give up all the, the fancy lifestyle and everything that comes along with IT, you know, working in the IT industry to express my love towards her and others like her. So she went, she went back to her maternal mother or grandmother, was it? Aunt. Mm -hmm. Aunt. Yeah. Was she missing or, I mean, did she just she get was lost? Missing. Or? Yeah, she was missing. Initially she was, you know, marked as a missing child. And mm -hmm. um, I brought her back to her aunts. And unfortunately, within a few days, she was back out there um, with her exploiter. And she was experiencing what is referred to as a trauma bond or Stockholm syndrome, where you are heavily attached to the same person that has terrorized you. And it's a very strange phenomenon that uh, we see in domestic violence. 
And it's even more sort of enmeshed and heightened when you're dealing with someone who is being human trafficked. And so uh, actually, I think I have the number wrong. I always say the wrong number, but what I remember is that she had gone back to an exploiter or to that lifestyle 18 times over the next year. Mm. Um, so she would be picked up by the police or by um, a community member. I never saw her out there. Thankfully, I looked for her. I searched mm-hmm. for her on streets all the time, but I actually never encountered her myself. Um, but it was something that I was doing behind the scenes that ultimately got her out of it. And um, uh, in partnership with some other people, including the uh, Alameda County District Attorney. But it was a year long of you know, this person coercing her, a group of people coercing her, manipulating her and helping, making her believe that she was loved by them and that Mm -hmm. they were the only people that were going to love her the way that she wanted to be loved. And Mm -hmm. so I did that while working in my, you know, senior leadership role at Cisco Systems and uh, burned the, you know, the the midnight oil (laughs) many, many nights to um, search for her, to, you know, call her to pick her up, to take her places. And so that's, you know, that's, that's sort of what informed the name of the organization, because I really felt very ill-equipped to meet her needs. I, I always felt like I would, I'm not doing enough. Why would she go back? I had like all these issues with um, what, well, you know, the psychological aspect of this is, is just horrific. You know, the things you think about when you know, someone's being harmed in this way. And so went through all of that. And um, what the only thing that gave me comfort is that I knew that I loved her Mm -hmm. and that I was going to keep looking for her Mm -hmm. uh, no matter what. And so love, you know, I said, uh, I grabbed that name because, you know, in my, I'm a praying person in my time of prayer, it just came to me that all, all I needed to do was just love her and, and, and everything else would, would be clear. Thank you for doing that. I mean, I just have to say thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for being the person that you are. Know that you are appreciated close and afar for all the things you do for the children and that you followed your heart Mm. to go out and do this. Um, You're the second person I've had on the show that was in a corporate job, living comfortably, and suddenly decided that they needed to take a turn. And it was for my listeners, if you want to listen to Carla, Carlisa's um, story, it's one of my early podcasts. But and, and as I think about, you know, the women in corporate America who were always asking these questions of, you know, why can't they get into jobs? Why can't they stay in these jobs? Why can't they? You know, what are the things facing these folks and where do we draw the line in terms of being able to help somebody and not help somebody, et cetera, all of those things like that, as well as we know that the numbers are just flipping where, you know, 51% of the workforce now is women. Um, They are 80% of them are concentrated in low paying jobs that really don't support a family lifestyle or being the caretaker, the primary caretaker in a home. And so they struggle quite a bit. And one of the things that's come out of, you know, love the work that you've done at Love Never Fails is that you guys wrote a white paper about the employment barriers for diverse candidates. How did the white paper come about? I mean, what what started you all on that journey? Because your primary work and talk a little bit about your primary work is, you know, rescuing these kids, these uh, Mm -hmm. young men and women. Well, it's interesting, you know, so we've been I've been doing this for 12 years now and. 
we've evolved because when you're dealing with one person, with, with a person in mind, uh, you can't just say, well, you know, I'm this kind of organization, so I'm only going to offer like this service. You start to go, oh, you know, holistically, like, you know, you need mental health services, you need housing, you need um, job workforce development, you, you know, you need mentoring, you need all these things. And so everything that my student and people who follow behind her needed is what informed every program that we've created. And so, um, you know, I remember, still remember to this day, um, about four years into being this grassroots organization where everybody's volunteers, um, we're doing a bunch of street outreach. We're walking up and down the streets in the middle of the night, talking to people that are being sold and throughout the Bay Area. And they and and one, two girls, and they were, you know, in their uh, like 19, 20 years old. And one of them was eight months pregnant. And the other one was uh, she had a five month old baby. And they had nowhere to go. They were homeless and they were also being, you know, one of them was being trafficked. I assume the other one was as well. And they asked me, Miss Vanessa, do you have anywhere for us to go? And I said, I, I sure don't. And we were trying to get them housing vouchers. We were trying to get them hotels for the, the weekend. It was a Friday. Nothing was available. They said, that's okay. We'll go and, you know, we'll go and hang out in this one house that we know. And anyway, what happened was they, um, the baby ended up passing away. Somebody uh, dropped the baby and the baby passed away. And that mm. for me, that for me was the tipping point of, um, I got to open housing. Mm -hmm. And so we opened up our first houses right there. And then, I mean, literally within, um, within two months of two, three months of that incident, we had our first house open. It was, it was just I cannot have this happen on my watch again. And then when people started coming into our housing programs and they started graduating, we started to realize, you know, they had been restored emotionally. They had been restored mentally, spiritually, but they were not restored financially. Mm -hmm. And that's when we said, you know what, we've got to start a workforce development program. And so naturally with my, all of my experience in IT, we, mm -hmm. I decided to start IT biz tech Academy. And initially we were a Cisco networking Academy. Now we're a state certified cybersecurity pre-apprenticeship program. We're a, we have a exemption for our WIOA, um, you know, workforce innovation act um, optimization or opportunity act. We have a Department of Rehabilitation certification. So we have all these certs to be able to provide different groups of people workforce development skills. And as we um, have been training them to get their CompTIA A, A plus certifications or their AWS cloud practitioner or their, their Agile Scrum Master, and now we're getting ready to add Microsoft uh, BI classes, um, data science classes, as we've been teaching people these skills, then they we've realized there's some barriers to them mm -hmm. getting employed. And let me tell you, they're not always barriers that they have. Sometimes mm -hmm. there's barriers within the employers and oftentimes there's barriers in the employers, things that the employers are requiring of people or places that are not um, friendly for diverse candidates, for, friendly for women. Um, we literally had a couple of women go and work in high tech companies. I won't say the names um, because those it, those companies are trying to you know cure that. But um, we had high tech companies that they were making 
in one instance, they were making $30 an hour, another one, $25 an hour, and they didn't want to work there. And though that, that was a good rate for the, for people who have never worked in mm-hmm. the tech industry. Well, what, what, well, you have to slow down to tell us because now you're talking about the environment or the culture yeah. is a barrier for um, the people that you serve. Yeah. What was the environment that did they come back and tell you about it or yeah, what? they actually did. And, you know, they said like one, one situation was that there was only men that were working there. They were the only woman. Mm-hmm. And the men were of a different culture than mm-hmm. the woman that was there. And they all spoke together in their native language during lunch hours. And they would not um, include the woman mm-hmm. in any social activities. They would not invite her into the lunch you know, time gatherings. They So she was off in a corner somewhere the, every day, you know, alone and isolated. Um, also, because of the way kind of the culture of all the men that were working there, they all um, learned a very similar way. And they, they, they were taught from a very young age, how to, how to learn, how to approach problem solving. And it was very different than the way that she would approach things. And they thought that, you know, this, these were her words, but she was kind of stupid. You know, she Mm -hmm. like, why, why can't you get this? Mm -hmm. What's your problem? And it's like, well, you know, Maybe you're a spatial learner. Maybe you're a visual learner. Maybe you're a hands-on learner. Those kinds of perspectives, they're not always appreciated mm-hmm. by different cultures. Mm-hmm. And so all of this prompted us to start another program, which is called Ready, which is, stands for Racial Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. So now we go into places of employment to employers and we teach uh, people about diversity about including different types of people through an empathetic lens. That's mm-hmm. our kind of our bend, but that's just one of the barriers. So, you know, as you mentioned there, you know, there, there are 114 barriers that uh, to employment, some of which have to do with, you know, maybe you have gaps in your work history due to homelessness, or, you know, maybe the individual is afraid of success. So they self-sabotage. Maybe the individual is going through a uh, child custody issue and they need certain days off to be able to go to court or be able to speak with court advocates. You know, maybe they're dealing with domestic violence or maybe they need childcare. Maybe the job um, requires you to stay until eight o'clock at night and childcare cuts off at six o'clock. Um, how many of you are out there know what I'm talking about there? I mean, I was a single mom. Uh, for, um, you know, several years. And if my childcare was needed till eight, I would have had to, to pay someone uh, to start from eight to, you know, six to eight, six to Mm -hmm. 8 PM. And that also would be a really, and pick them up. And that would be a really hard time because my kids would want to have dinner with their mother and their parents. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because there's this, you know, marketing, thing that goes on that, you know, if you're in IT or you're part of that 40% desk job workers, um, now hybrid and flex working and all of that. And of course, you're training um, your students to be in cybersecurity, which basically they should be able to do from home. They have to show up. I mean, help us understand, are these companies who just have decided that you have to physically be there to do the work? Well, 
This was before the pandemic that we okay. started in, in 2018. We started mm-hmm. the IT Biz Tech Academy. So before the, the pandemic, people were really adamant that you have to come in, especially in those entry-level positions. I think a lot of it was, you know, twofold. One, they didn't have the remote tech ubiquitous remote technology mm-hmm. that the secure technology that would allow all of their staff to connect and also a trust issue, right? We've evolved since COVID. Um, a lot of jobs are now remote. There are quite a few jobs though that are still requiring people to come in person, not so much uh, digital workers, but people maybe that are assembling hardware, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. people that are testing hardware, um, things like that. And also some companies have not yet figured out how to have that kind of distributed remote tech support infrastructure. And so they still are requiring you to come in and do um, tech support in little pods in their in their offices. But even if you do have, let's say you have a, um, I don't know, two-year-old and you're working from home, you still have to have somebody watching your children, even if mm-hmm. you're working from home, mm-hmm. especially if you're a single parent, because you can't, can't provide your, you know, your services uh, without someone watching. So the challenges persist, even, you know, with things like childcare, even if you are a remote worker, I would say it is a lot better time if you are that single parent to be so uh, and have that remote job. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt as a single mother in my early, you know, years at, in the tech industry, if I was not able to work from home, I wouldn't have been able to climb the latter because there were days when I had uh, sick children that just needed to be able to lay in their beds and have someone to mm-hmm. bring them some soup mm-hmm. and some medicine every mm-hmm. every couple of hours. They just needed mama. Yeah. They needed a parent. You know, now it's a parent. They need that love, that connection. And you can tell whether a, an organization gets that or not yeah. based on their policies. But, you know, th- they're barriers, right, mm-hmm. to employment because you're not supposed to ask those kind of questions in interviews, but you'd be surprised how people draw that kind of information out. And then many times the candidates, they um, self-exclude themselves. You know, they mm-hmm. they say as soon as they hear, well, you know, you're going to be working long hours and sometimes we need you to stay until seven or eight o'clock. And, you know, at times we start at seven o'clock in the morning and, you know, you, you just have to do what you got to do to make it happen. That can be very intimidating for someone. And, and, and this is this is so key to hear. When you've never had any support, when you don't have family support, mm-hmm. when your family is, you know, think about some of the people that I may be working with, uh, mothers, fathers may be deceased, mm-hmm. may be extremely ill, mm-hmm. could be drug addicted. Mm-hmm. You don't have family support that you need. And so it's you, you, and you. Mm-hmm. And if you feel overwhelmed by an interview, that's telling you, you know, you got to do what you got to do. I was one of those ones when they said, you got to do what you got to do. I was like, I'm going to wrap my child up on my back in in a little bushel and I'll carry him or her around while I'm working because I got to work because I don't want to be homeless. And that's the way I responded to those, some of those messages, but not everybody's that way. You know, I have a fight response when I'm, when I feel triggered, I fight. Some Mm -hmm. people they retreat. retreat. That's exactly right. You know, fight, flight, or freeze is what I like to say. Um, yes. 
It, so it's interesting, especially when they have not seen this. And so when you were talking about this, it made me go back to something that you were talking about earlier. And that was how you started with Love Never Fails. And just thinking about that, and 18 times this young lady went through this, it, and it's definitely a process to go from where they were to where they are now. And then suddenly they're faced with trying to get into work. Yeah. How did you get them through the process of of redefining what love could look like or at mm. least support could look like? Well, you have to earn the right. You know, there's a there's a beautiful um, quote and I, it's escaping me who wrote it at the moment. I'll remember in a second. But it says, before you take down people's fences, understand why they were put up. Mm. Right. Understand mm-hmm. why the fence was built. And so people need to know that you're trustworthy that you're not going to harm them the way that the the so-called boyfriend or, you know, husband or daddy or whatever they're calling that person, that person really hurt them. And Mm -hmm. here you come saying this, all probably the same thing. I'm going to be there for you. I got you, you know? And so you can't come with that. You have to say, you know, tell me what you want and you have to uh, align yourself with the goals of the person that you're serving. And um, open the doors at the speed that they're prepared to to go through them. And so it might look like, you know what, Uh, I might have a a young lady or young man say to me, or a gender nonconforming somebody, somebody say to me, you know, I would like to become an astronaut. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's my goal. I want to become an astronaut. Okay, well, I would say to them right away, I don't know the first thing about becoming an astronaut, but we're going to figure it out together. And we would start doing some searches on Google, maybe find some some scientists that Mm -hmm. might, you know, work at NASA, uh, start to tap into some of that network and all the while they're learning. And Mm -hmm. I don't propose to be some kind of expert, Mm -hmm. but all I know is I know how to ask for Mm -hmm. help. I know how to find things. I'm resourceful. Mm-hmm. I'm tenacious. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they watch that and we do it together and we just start knocking on doors. And that's the way. And it's not just me. My, this is the way my team is. Mm-hmm. I don't do this by myself. I have a, I have a team of wonderful, tenacious, mm-hmm. uh, resourceful people mm-hmm. around me that go, come on, let's go, let's go figure it out. And mm-hmm. it's all about, you know, we use a something which I've, now learned, I, this, I just did this naturally before, but we use something that's called motivational interviewing. Mm-hmm. And we use that to guide us in taking someone through to finding their purpose and, and working in their purpose. And I think as we do that, we build rapport, mm-hmm. they begin to trust us, mm-hmm. they gain confidence in us. And then you have to just make sure that all the while, you're always very conscious of your word is your word and you need to be trauma informed, which basically means some days they might say, I don't like you Mm -hmm. and I don't want to talk to you and you haven't been helping me. And you go, okay, it's one of those days. Got it. Let me back up. Let me move out the way. Let me let you get your air together and let me know when you're ready to re-engage. And it always, there's always a turnaround. So you got to give people space to have those moments because they've been through a lot. You know, as you explained it, two things came up for me. 
And so I, I asked, you know, those folks who are listening, especially if you're in the HR or you're an executive in a company, um, to think about this. The first one is your approach to them. I don't know there would be any different than approach we should have in terms of thinking about the recruiting process in the first place. Mm. I should a new candidate trust your company. Mm. You know, when we talk about interviewing um, and the best interviewers, they go out and they do the research to know that they want to be there. But it's always a pick me, pick me, pick me kind of scenario. And if you're the winner, we'll mm-hmm. let you in. <laughs> yeah. And then you're still back on your own. There's not a lot of wraparound in terms of, hey, let me help you be supported. What questions do you have? You know, the orientation in the first, you know, most people don't even have a one week orientation, let alone, I recommend you have at least six months because it takes six months before you can physically just get through the disorientation of being mm-hmm. in a new space. That means knowing people, inter, you know, knowing the right questions, feeling comfortable that it's okay to write, ask the right questions. Most folks in companies don't, they don't believe in being vulnerable, not knowing. Mm-hmm. They, yep. they, as you said, in, in this one company that you gave the example, it's like, if you can't fit in for us, then we don't know what to do with you. And so it's right. interesting that as I listen to you talk about the support that you provide and the preparation that you provide and the kinds of companies that you're looking for to um, place um, your students in, it's the same kind of of idea that when you're trying to be a company that is welcoming, a company that really is trying to get the best in productivity, the best ideas, the whole thing, it's the same. You got to create that same environment. That's right. The second thing that uh, came up on my my radar when you were talking about it is, you know, so one, what's your welcoming environment and, and how is the hiring process? Is it even something that welcomes somebody? And the other was about integrity. Mm. So many times we are, in fact, I, I mean, I just had this with a training class um, last week. We were talking about integrity. And I said, okay, let's talk about the word. And I'd ask everybody, hey, raise your hand. How many of you think you have integrity? You know, of course, all this, this is all executives. Everybody's hands raise up, right? Oh, yeah, I'm in, I have integrity. I said, oh, okay, well, have you ever told anybody that, you know, you'll be someplace and, you know, like your kids or your family, and then suddenly that uh, project needs you more? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So who do you think believes you don't have integrity, your company or your kids? Have you yes. ever been in a situation where as a supervisor, if you have a meeting with somebody four times a month, you probably miss two of them. Some And some people miss three and four. Cause I, I mean, I'm coaching them and they're like, I haven't had a meeting with my boss and I don't know how long because they keep canceling them. Now, all good things, all good reasons, all legitimate reasons, but what does that do to trust? Right. Can I trust right. you? No. Can I trust you to be there? No. Can I trust you to be there um, when I need you? What do I need to do to get there to see you when you won't even meet with me on my regular time frame? And so there's these little things, you know, we even talked about what's the difference between uh, white lies. Oh, Uh you told a little white lie. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But what does that send the message to the other person who's sitting on the other side? 
Right. And so in for your students in particular, I would imagine that they're probably really good students of observation. Oh yeah. They don't listen I, much. Yeah. But they watch what you t- what you do. Right. Your you what's the other quote? It says your actions are speaking so loud I can't hear anything you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. That um that for me is so so important, you know, I I can't emphasize enough when you're dealing with a diverse population in particular, there's been a lot of promises made and not kept. Mm -hmm. There's Mm -hmm. been a lot of disappointments and a lot of uh, lack of prioritization. And, you know, at the end of the day, what people who have been historically overlooked or harmed uh, need to know is you are really committed to the things that you say you're committed to. And, you know, uh, just recently we've been seeing lots of articles saying, you know, DEI has died, right? Yeah. The death yeah. of DEI, right? We, there was all the talk and all the rave mm-hmm. um, a few years back. Everybody's got, you know, when George Floyd was murdered, mm-hmm. everybody picked up a DEI initiative. Mm-hmm. And now um, it's like things are rough, things are financially mm-hmm. difficult. So we don't have time for that. Well, really, if that was part of our values and our culture, like there's mm-hmm. just no, for me, there's no turning away from it. Mm-hmm. Like that is, that is who we are. Mm-hmm. There is no other way. And people are watching. They mm-hmm. are watching. I, um, I was talking to a parent and we were just comparing notes about how we say things to our children and they go, you know, they're like they're rolling their eyes and they're, they're acting like they don't hear a word you say. And sometimes their behavior even translates that, man, they, they didn't, they don't care about what I think that, you know, that they only care about their peers, right? We've got some 15 and 16 year olds, but let me tell you, there's been a few times, even with my adult children, where I hear them talking about a conversation that we had when they were 14 or 15. Mm-hmm. Years old. Mm-hmm. It was getting in there. Mm-hmm. It was going in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it was teaching them something. And so yeah. the question is, what do we want to be teaching our kids? They're watching. What do we want to be teaching our communities, our culture, you know, our, our companies? What do we want to be teaching those around us, our, our staff, um, about our commitment to people, about our commitment to our word, about our commitment to, you know, I had a lady come to me the, on, uh, over the weekend and she said um, she was complaining and she was really out of line. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, bottom line is I could have said, Hey, you know what? Yeah, I could, I could have said some choice words. She was just really out of line. And I went away. I said, you know, I told, I gave her an I statement. I said, I feel like you're attacking me. And I left it there. And, and I went away from that. And, and, it, you know, part of me felt a little defeated because I let her say some things to me that were, you know, not okay. But I, later I was able to say, I'm glad I didn't say too much. Because she's obviously having a bad day mm-hmm. and she's a fragile person. She's mm-hmm. not, she, she needs more care mm-hmm. than, you know, and I was able to um, just be more empathetic in mm-hmm. my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I thought this is going to make this coalition that I'm a part of a better coalition. Why? Mm-hmm. Because she's going to continue to remain in it. Mm-hmm. Whereas I really wanted to tell her, you know what? If you don't like it, you know where you can go. But Door, door's I, over there. 
Right. Don't let the, the door hit you mm-hmm. on the way out. Right. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but, you know, I held my tongue and I tried to reach deep into that place that said, okay, this person, something's going on with this person. Right. And I've got to figure out, can I salvage this relationship? How can I better support them? What kind of things do they need? Why are they stuck in this way of thinking? And, and so it's those spaces and they're, and they're not easy. They're not mm-hmm. easy. I mean, these 114 barriers are, are not easy. There's disabilities. People have bulimia or hearing impaired, or they're dealing with cancer. They're, you know, people are dealing with asylum statuses as immigrants. People are dealing with just a mindset, a, a poverty mindset, and not believing that they're able to achieve this or that, or they don't have phone or they don't have Wi-Fi. So maybe they don't, they don't get on your interview, your second interview, they get on it five minutes late because they're trying to scramble to look for some kind of hot spot in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I mean, these, these things show up ugly. They don't show up nice and pretty. They're not in a pretty little bow that says, I have bulimia. Mm-hmm. No, they show up as I've been throwing up, making myself throw up all weekend long. Mm-hmm. And now I'm extremely exhausted on Monday. And I called off sick on a day when you really needed me to be there. And and they and they look like this person doesn't care about what, you know, my my work environment. You know, they this person doesn't. Uh, isn't committed to their craft. This person is lazy. This person is maybe drug addicted, you know, all the judgments. Yep. But if we take the time to go, are you okay? Because I noticed you've been out a lot. What's going mm-hmm. on with you? Mm-hmm. And you try a little bit harder. Maybe you have an EAP program and you go, mm-hmm. you know what? Can I get you some counseling? Can I get you some support service? Can I get you some wraparound? And they might not tell you I have bulimia, but they might just say, I'm having a really hard time with my health and my weight right now. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you say, okay, well, can I get you over to a counselor? I'd love to get you some support. And you'll find out later that something's going on. And, 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 and as employers, it's not our job to, you know, be a counselor and start solving bulimia or solving disability, you know, people are differently abled and they need different support systems in order to be able to Mm -hmm. be effective in their job. It's not our job to actually solve for that. Well, it is. So I think it's our job to notice it and to bring people in to help with it, Yes, but not to solve it directly. And so, you know, for me, that should be an empowering message as an employer. I have 40 staff, 45 staff now. I don't have to solve it, but I got enough. I got to look notice, say something's wrong, take the time to care, show up for the meeting. Like you said, Denise, you know, Mm -hmm. if you're never showing up, you'll never know. Absolutely. So, you know, there's a couple of things that uh, as takeaways, one is the 114 um, reasons are listed on your website and people can get it. And of course they'll be in the show notes, but the other side of it is, is guys, you don't have to know how to solve for all of this. You know, one of the chapters in my book is you got a problem, invite a, invite friends over. It's about crowdsourcing. Mm. As you said, bring in, there are enough people out here that you can bring in who definitely know how to solve whatever problem it is that you want. So how can people get a hold of you if they want to continue this conversation, Vanessa? 
They can reach out to me on my email, which is Vanessa at loveneverfailsus.com. They can reach me on LinkedIn. Our Love Never Fails LinkedIn page is just Love Never Fails. And um, also we have a Facebook page. It's Love Never Fails fan page. Twitter is Love Never Fails 5. And Instagram is Love Never Fails Us. Hey guys, um, as I always say at the end of a conversation, if you liked it, share it. If you don't like it, share it. Because you know what? I guarantee that it will be something that will help you close the gap and show up as a remarkable leader. I hope this has been enjoyable. If it is, don't forget to make sure you subscribe and you like uh, this so that you never miss anything. We're always out here on Thursdays with a new episode. And until next week, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Well, as I said before, this is a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for following me. And if you really, really want to make things better and help me get the word out, please go like this wherever you're listening to your podcast. Follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. All of that's in the show notes. And for doing that, go to my website and click on the uh, network and you'll be able to get some free gifts that will help you figure out how to be the best leader that you can be. As I always say, if you like it, share it. If you don't like it, share it, because I guarantee it will definitely help you become the most remarkable leader you can be.